And praise the Lord, church. As everyone's coming in to be seated, I want to start with uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I want to turn to Genesis 1, 26 through 27. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowls of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. I want to talk today about understanding our value. Understanding our place in God's will. Understanding the value God placed upon us from the beginning. It was clear in that second set of scripture I read. God made us in his image. A reflection of him living life upon his creation. So not only did he breathe a living soul into Adam, giving him life, not only did he give him dominion over the earth, which he just created, he started what would become the greatest love story ever told. Because in that moment when God breathed life into Adam, he knew that one day he would be robed in flesh. He would come down to the earth which he created, born as a child, living life like all of us, and one day would pay the ultimate sacrifice. He knew that salvation would be offered to every generation from the moment Adam was created. Just take a moment and think the value God placed upon you when he decided he would do that from the beginning. It's a love only God could have. From the very beginning to put value upon us. Not that we are great, not that we deserve it, but because he loves us. Think about that. If you read in, in Genesis chapter 1, it was the sixth day in which he created man. The sixth day of creation, after all the creatures were created, after the mountains and seas were formed, he waited to the very last minute to create us. The thing he would mold in his image after himself. The thing he would love so much that he would step off of his throne and come down to his creation and die for us. You know, it's, it's great for us because we know how the story ends. We know how the story went down. We know the love that Jesus has for us. But not everybody was happy with that. We talk about Satan, Lucifer, the adversary, whatever you want to call him. We read in the Bible, he was once an angel in heaven with God. But he wanted to exalt himself above God. We can read in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? 
How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend unto heaven and exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, into the sides of the pit. We can get a little more context to this. We go to Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 through 19. But I just want to look at verse 17. It says, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. In the prior scriptures, to verse 17, we see that Satan, Lucifer, he was a bright being. He was full of gems and gemstones. He was a beautiful creation. But at some point, he let that beauty get to him. And the Bible isn't exactly clear when it happens, but we know it happened before the temptation in the garden. So we're talking the first few days of creation. He decided, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good looking. Everybody seems to like me. They all turn their heads to me when I come into the room. I think I could beat God. I think I can go above and sit on the throne. It was pretty vain to think of that. His wisdom was corrupted, and because of that corruption, he was cast out. I bring this up because it really points to the value of salvation. In 2 Peter 2 and 4, it says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness, to be reserved unto judgment. Let that sink in. The angels who sinned were cast down into hell. They weren't given a second chance. They weren't given a chance at redemption. But we were. Really let that sink in. I don't think we could ever fully grasp the value of that. That the beings which dwell in heaven with God, literally in his presence, didn't get a second chance. But us lowly people, stuck to toil the dirt for food, were given a second chance. We're given the opportunity to say, Lord, forgive me. I don't think we could ever truly grasp what that means. To be able to spend eternity in heaven with God because He offered us the gift. He didn't condemn us to judgment because we chose sin. He said, look, I'm going to give you the option. I'm here. I paid the price. Your ticket is punched. All you got to do is take it. All you got to do is grab onto it and follow me. Having that context, it really helps us to understand how he sees us. 
We're not just empty vessels doomed to wander. We are vessels waiting to be filled. He gave us the gift of the Holy Ghost, His Spirit within us. He didn't want us to be empty. He didn't want us to be comfortless. Jesus said He would send the Comforter to us. That's the Holy Ghost. The strength that lives with inside of us to make the right choices. To understand how to live in holiness. To understand how to live in God's will. I want to take a step back and focus again on angels. Not the fallen angels, but the angels that still dwell in heaven. We can read throughout pretty much any story in the Bible, and angels are present. They're being used as messengers, being used as guides, being used to protect, watch over, or just simply to inform us. We can see specifically in Exodus chapter 23, God sent his angel to guide the Israelites to the promised land. We could see in 2 Chronicles chapter 32 that God sent an angel out to cut down the armies of Assyria when Jerusalem was surrounded. In John chapter 20, we could see two angels where Jesus' body lay. And Mary came in to check on him, and he was gone. But they were there to comfort him in that moment, to comfort her in that moment. Because as soon as she left that place, she seen him. She seen Jesus was risen from the grave. And all throughout the book of Revelation, you can read every detail that God planned out for the angels to fulfill his will. They are casting out the things he has planned from the beginning. Every detail God revealed to us, they're there. They're working, they're ministering, they're moving. And it's just a small fraction of those things which they do. I mean, you can read almost every story. An angel is present or an angel is used. So God, being in heaven, surrounded by those angels, says, I know it's pretty cool having you guys here with me. You guys enjoy it, but uh, I need you to go help out those people. They need to hear something. They need protection. They need deliverance. I need you to fulfill my will. There's value in that, understanding that God would take his creation, which is with him currently in heaven, which where we all hope to go. But they're already there. They're already in his presence, seeing his full glory. And he goes, I need you to help these people out. They're going to come be here with us one day, but I need you to take a step down and go down there and help them out. To take the angels from his presence and send them down to help us, it's kind of amazing to me when I think about it. Because they're there worshiping him. And that's what he wants from us. But he goes, hey, take a break. Go down there and help him out. Go down there and fulfill my will. I mean, we really can't grasp what that means. That they would be sent down from heaven to protect me. What have I done to deserve it? What have any of us done to deserve God's love? He would love us so much to not only die for us and forgive our sins, but to send down the angels to help us. 
in our times of need, and in any situation. But it doesn't stop there. There's one more step with angels. We can read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. And this blew my mind when I read it. Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life. In this set of scripture, Paul's talking about the end times. Once we've all made it to heaven, once we've all been called up, and God's holding judgment, he tasked us, his children, the ones who lived holy and followed his will and made it into salvation, to hold judgment over the angels. And it doesn't specify what angels, but I I think we can assume from Scripture earlier we read, the fallen angels are waiting for judgment. So I'd imagine that that's what he's talking about there. But think about that. Us people who only get God's presence when we ask for it, when we pray for him, when we seek him and when we bring him in. He's always with us, but we can't see him. Sure, we can see his will manifest. We can see his love come to fruition in our lives, but we don't get to see his glory physically. But he tasked us, these lowly people, at the end times to hold judgment over the angels. I don't think there's a greater value we can think of besides that in salvation. That he would value us so much to allow us to share that judgment with him. It really doesn't make sense to me to think that God would love us that much. That God would hold us in such high value that no matter the sin we come from, no matter the evils we've done, No matter the wrongs we've committed, he's holding his hands open and say, you got a second chance. I'm here. I love you. I paid the price. Just repent. Just be baptized. Just receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'm there. The whole time. God never leaves you. God doesn't turn his back on you. He doesn't forsake you. Even if you forsake him, he doesn't leave. He's still watching. He's still loving. To think about that, how could anyone value something so much? I mean, being honest, anything besides my kids, I don't know if I could value anything that much to die for. I mean, I love every one of you, but... Being honest, I think my kids are the only people I'd stand up for in that moment to die for them. But that's how God views us. We are his children. He created us. He laid out our lives. He didn't have to do it. He really didn't. He could have just let us all be doomed. But he chose to die. He chose to step off of his throne be born, grow up through all the things little kids do. Go through all of that. 
literally experienced life like us. Every up, every down, everything. All the hard work, all the schooling. And yet he was sinless. He showed us as an example, it's possible. With his spirit, it's possible. Because he didn't just make a man and fill it. He was the fullness of God in man. That's the only way it's possible for us. To have God's spirit. That's the only way. And he knew he couldn't just give it to us. Because we would still have the burden of sin. He knew that he had to be that perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice, one final price to be paid for everyone. So he came down, lived sinless, was perfect in every way, and taught the multitudes. And for those teachings and the love that he was preaching, was condemned to die. Now he knew he was going to die, but even in that moment, In those final moments, you could see the flesh crying out, saying, let this cup pass from me. He didn't stop. He didn't go, "Nah, you know what? That's going to hurt. I don't want to do that. I mean, think about it. Being crucified is the most brutal way anyone has ever or will ever die. And that's what he chose. He chose to be hung upon a cross and slowly and painfully die for us. That was the price he paid. That was the value he held in us. Something to most people who, I mean, in general speaking, we don't really have a way to put value on human life. But God chose his life to be valued over all of us. He paid that price himself. He could have sent another, and it probably wouldn't have meant as much, but he could have. It's it's his plan. It's his choice. He could do whatever he wants. But he said personally, I'm going to step down, and I'm going to do it to show all of us the love and the value he holds over us. And he could have stopped there. He could have said, all right, your price is paid. Repent and be baptized and live sinless. But there's a catch. We're still flesh. So he said, all right, I'll go a step further, and I will send you the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, my spirit in every one of you. I mean, really think about that. He wanted to dwell within us in our hearts, to be our personal guide. That value he holds upon us to say, not only will I die for you to offer redemption, I will live within you and be that soft, still voice saying, don't do that. I wouldn't say that. That person over there needs you to pray for him. That person over there is in need. I sent you to help them. Allowing us to become 
his messengers. Because it'd be kind of strange, if we're being honest, to go through some of the experiences that characters in the Bible did. If you've read the descriptions of angels, sometimes they seem a little uh, freaky, right? That's why they always say, fear not. But God said, you know what? You guys relate better to each other. So I'm going to take my people, fill them with my spirit, and send them out to preach the gospel. To preach them the hope of all things that I paid for them. To help you and me reach out to everyone else. To help them understand the value God placed upon them. Because if you look out in the world, and if you could remember back to a time where you were in the world... Everyone out there is living in despair. They're living in self-hatred. They don't know why, but they don't feel fulfilled. There's a pit that says, you're not good enough. You could never be enough. You could never fulfill anything good. And God says, yes, you can. God says, I will help you. I will make you into something good. I will turn all that evil into good. You know, and I got to thinking about that. That despair, that self-hatred, that devaluation that society pushes upon everyone. And it really starts to make sense. When you think about what Satan has been trying to do. He knows the value God holds over us. He understands what God did and what God's doing. And to be honest, I think he's jealous. He didn't get salvation. He didn't get a second chance. And that's why he's trying to take every one of us to hell with him. That's why he wants every single person to forget that there's a God who loves them. I mean, just look at society. Look at anything. Where do you see God? Where do they mention God? Not once, not ever. Unless it's in a joke. Unless it's something to laugh at to say, look at those silly Christians jumping up and down saying, Jesus loves you. I mean, think about it. They've turned the greatest being ever, God himself, into a joke. It's our job to not only understand our value and to never let that self-doubt, that self-hatred come into our hearts because Jesus made every one of us. He loves us. doesn't matter how you look. doesn't matter how you think you look. He loves you. doesn't matter what anyone says about you. He loves you. Never forget that. Never let those things creep in. Because just like Pastor said last week, doubt's unavoidable. The doubt's going to be there. Every time you look in the mirror, you're going to go, man, I don't like the way I look. That shave turned out bad. That haircut sucks. I don't like this shirt. But don't dwell on those things. Cast that part out. And use that doubt, just like he said, to build your faith. Focus on God, focus on the promise, focus on the love, and truly, 
let that sink in. You are loved. You are valued. God chose us. Worthy of nothing, but he chose us. Deserving of nothing, but he chose us. Jesus chose you. If you're here today and you're still breathing, Jesus is still choosing you. He still loves you. And he will not leave you. That I can promise you. He will not forsake you. He will not forget about you. He values you. You were worth it then, and you are still worth it now. It didn't just go away because time has passed. That value doesn't depreciate. It holds firm. Because it, can, it can't increase because it's perfect. The love is perfect. The salvation is perfect. Jesus made it that way. It doesn't diminish in value. No matter how you feel about yourself, you are still valuable in God's eyes. So in conclusion, as I'm wrapping it all up and bringing it in, when we go out to work tomorrow or tonight, or if you're going out shopping or wherever you go, don't ever let that little doubtful voice tell you you're not worth it. When you start to hear that, stop and say, nope, Jesus loves me. Nope, Jesus made me. He values me. And I don't care what I think. He still values me. Because at the end of the day, if you've been baptized, if you've repented, if you've received the Holy Ghost, and you're living for Jesus, you're living a holiness lifestyle, and you're focused on Jesus, you've got nothing to worry about. If God's with you, no one can be against you. He is for you. He loves you. He values you. And he understands the struggle. It's always an open door for him. Pretty simple. Just speak to him and he hears you. So don't ever forget that value. Don't ever forget who you are to God. Don't ever let anyone tell you otherwise. He loves you. He values you. And he understands you.